This is episode 86. All right. Well, let's walk and talk a little. Okay. In this episode of All Hazards, a hike through California's oldest state park, one that was ravaged by wildfires in August 2020. All of the historic buildings in the park, except for one state park house, were burned in this fire. Come along on a personal tour through Big Basin Redwoods State Park. There are still fires within the hearts of some of these hollowed out redwoods. We've chosen to try and put out those fires rather than cutting down the old growth redwoods. Learn about the damage nature inflicted on the forest and how signs of life are sprouting up everywhere. How redwoods are able to regenerate so quickly after a fire and why they've survived for literally thousands of years. Redwoods are phenomenal in so many ways. One of them is they can grow three to 10 feet in a year. California State Parks environmental scientist Joanne Kerbavis is our guide and our guest. A conversation recorded live as we learn about the tremendous efforts underway to reopen Big Basin. And then some of the original rock work and we're hoping that Cal OES will be able to remove the hazardous materials, but still save a little piece of this original structure. All Hazards goes to Big Basin right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of All Hazards, the podcast hosted by me, Sean Boyd, for Cal OES. And I am here with Joanne Kerbavis, a senior environmental scientist with California State Parks. Did I say it? Kerbavis, yeah. Kerbavis, all right. It's a, it's a little tricky, uh, but, but it has some history. You said it's cooler to say it the way it used to be said. How, how did it used to be said? Well, like many people whose families came through Ellis Island, there were changes along the way. Yes. And they added all the vowels at yes. some point, so. Kerbavis. Kerbavis. I love that. Yeah. Well, I love it. That's, that's at least two generations old now, so we've. we've... <laughs> what is all this noise we're hearing, Joanne? We you, keep hearing a lot of this noise, but there's a lot of progress being made. That is the sound of progress. That is the sound of progress. That's the sound of moving ahead. Uh, we're here at the headquarters of Big Basin State Park. It's not going to be the scene that people remember from before the 2020 CZU lightning complex fires. And one of the things that our colleagues and partners from Cal OES and Cal Recycle are dealing with right now are removing the hazard trees and then the hazardous debris. And the loud noise are some big chunks of dead Douglas firs that are going to be loaded right about now. Let's listen. There it goes. Much, that one wasn't quite as dramatic. Much softer that time. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so my nerves can handle it a little bit better. Oh, there it goes. There you go. All right, very good. All right, so um, the reason we're here uh, we're here in Big Basin, as you mentioned, at the site of the original headquarters. And the site now is unfortunately not what it used to be. Unfortunately, all of the historic buildings in the park, except for one state park house from the mid-century, were burned in this fire. And this was, uh, the historians will uh, upbraid me if I say this was the original headquarters. Okay. It was probably the second headquarters. Okay, well they can do that to me then. There you go. Built in about 1936 by the Civilian Conservation Corps. Okay, so and the only thing standing now is the foundation and the chimney. Yeah, this is one of the features that we do hope to keep. This is original material on these steps. 
and then some of the original rock work and we're hoping that Cal OES will be able to remove the hazardous materials but still save a little piece of this original structure. So can we walk up these stairs just to the top? Let's do it. Is that it. possible? Okay, let's do that and be careful because there is a lot of debris, a lot of organic material, a lot of it burned here on the steps. We're up here at the top of what used to be the, the foundation for the, the most recent headquarters since 1936, you said. 1936. And this was where you would come. You would stand somewhere over here. So if I was the visitor, I would come If you're here. the visitor, come up here. And there was a beautiful redwood burl that formed a counter. Oh, and that's yeah. where you would check in and get your campsite and maybe get a park brochure and talk to the folks behind the counter. So what and are we seeing now? Let's describe this for the listener. It's... This is truly devastation. You see the pieces of rusted and burnt metal, uh, little reminders of what was here, We've got melted. Some melted glass. Sure. And wow. then just the odds and ends that were left. The cultural resource people did come through. They sifted areas where they thought there might be artifacts that could be salvaged. And um, we do have a, a great collection of old two-handled saws oh yeah because the these old saws they went through the fire so okay we do have that but you there was very the little that the handles, are gone, the handles are gone yeah so the metal is what's left there and there's very little that could be salvaged mm. and certainly that side of this is part of the tragic story that we lost not just these buildings but some of the the things that were inside um, you could see the fireplace that the, the Literally, the fire was so hot here that the rocks on the front of the fireplace spalled and, and broke off. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is where, on a drizzly day, uh, you would come in and warm up sitting around the fire inside the... I can envision it right now. I can envision it. And I had been to this park a long time ago, once very briefly. I didn't spend a lot of time here, but... Mm -hmm. So I was trying to imagine what it looked like. The only thing I know is what I've seen in pictures. So the people who had been here are the lucky ones. They're the ones who know what it looked like, what it smelled like with the wood and the fresh air and listening to the wind blow through the branches of these beautiful trees. Old growth redwoods, sequoias, what do we have here? Sequoia cyperverans, the okay. old, and these are one stand of old growth redwoods. And I would say I, I am an environmental scientist, so I come from that mindset mm -hmm. and you're right this will not be back as people remembered it but the forest will be back and I think even in this regeneration there is another kind of beauty mm -hmm. so I don't despair about the forest even as I do feel sad that the experience that I had here at this historic building is an experience that people won't be able to have. For sure. It'll, it'll look a little bit different, um, but it's a whole new generation that will get to experience the park in a way that they won't know any different. Well, or I hope they do know different. I hope that we can use this event as a chance to discuss the ecology of the Redwood Forest, to discuss the issues around fire and around potential for 
changing climate. So let's talk about that. Talking about renewal and regeneration, this park is undergoing something right now that it probably hasn't endured in, in quite some time. Tell me about the history of fire, if you can, just in general terms here in this park and its importance. Well, California has a Mediterranean climate system. Fire is part of most of California, and certainly fire has been part of these forests. The redwoods are even older than that Mediterranean climate system, so they were here before we had the long dry periods with rain coming only in the winter. And you know that how? Uh, because there are fossil, there's a fossil record. Okay. And where it gets difficult, where we can have a good scientific knockdown, mm -hmm. is discussing what exactly we're talking about when we're talking about Sequoia Semperverens. Okay. Because it's a little harder to go back in time and define where the species that we call Sequoia Semperverens actually originated. Mm -hmm. But just on the time scale we know, we know that redwoods were found in La Brea tar pits. So maybe about 50,000 years ago, wow. they were living in Los Angeles. So that's just in that time scale. And if you want to go back further, something that probably is an ancestor of this redwood, 50 million years ago, were widespread over Western North America. So we are talking a survivor in many ways. And we're talking about a species and a forest that's lived under a variety of pressures. Tell me whether or not then the number of redwoods, the number of these old growth redwoods that have been wiped out this time, is that an anomaly? And if so, what happened? Well, we'll talk more about that later when okay. I have better science. Okay. One of the things we're very lucky to have now is because of the technology for remote sensing, there's actually something called LIDAR, which is kind of, I think of it like sonar with a laser. Mm -hmm. The laser comes down and can show the ground surface and can also show the heights of the individual trees. We will be able to do a detailed map and actually look at the number of taller trees before the fire and then compare that with after the fire. Mm. So we may have more detailed information. Okay, so stay tuned for that. Stay tuned to that. But I will say, based on other studies of fires in old growth, we expect about 90% of the trees to survive of the redwood trees. Okay. And that's because they are engineered to survive disturbance. That's why they're still here. Mm. And fire is just one of the disturbances that they're engineered to survive. In some areas, flooding is the disturbance. Other areas, landslides. Their ability to re-sprout and regrow after disturbance is indeed part of the reason we have redwoods still. Now, one of the constraints on redwoods is that moisture because they probably did arise in a time where they didn't have to endure the long dry periods. So what worked out for them here is that they're tall enough and the crowns are complex enough that they can capture their own water from fog. And that's why now the places that still have redwoods in California are places that get summer fog. That makes a whole lot of sense. And that's, I'm so glad that we get fog here now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, usually, uh, you know, some of us <laughs> on coastal California wish we had a little bit less. A little but bit less fog, but when you know you're what? thinking about that, you're providing. And now, another piece of that I enjoy thinking about 
is the redwoods capture maybe 30 to 40 percent of the moisture they're going to see in a year from that fog drip. But at the same time, that's also allowing the community that is around them to thrive. So they're, in a way, architects of the plants and animals that you see in this forest. So what are we looking at here? This is Sky Meadows, and this was the major employee residence area in the park. Okay, so they lived here. They lived here. Yeah, this was a community and from the 1940s, and there's a strong sense of community. Some of the retired rangers still look fondly upon the time mm -hmm. that they spent here living and working in the park. So up until the fire, there were still people living in here? Yes, and okay. the day of the fire, people who lived here immediately went into the mode of trying to evacuate the park. So even as they perhaps wish they could have been evacuating their own homes, they were helping make sure that campers got out of the park safely. I see. So what area of the park is this? This is kind of in the middle of the developed zone of the park. We're close to the park headquarters and we're also close to where the original kind of entrance to the park was coming in off Lodge Road. It looks like they've raised this area here. Yeah. Uh, removing the burned materials then. Exactly. It gives you a good picture of what uh, you can see the house that's still standing on the other side and these were homes here so you can see the... How did that house get so lucky? Uh, you know, it, it's one of the things about fire. When you see the fire effects, you'll see areas that are completely burned and then other areas that were just skipped entirely. Mm -hmm. and, and that house uh, escaped. Unfortunately for the person who lives there, the area still has no electricity and no water service, so they can't move back. So looking at the work that they've done so far, does this look like good progress to you or does it, is it just going to take a little while? I think that this looks like great progress and the work that's being done here seems to be very efficient. It's just there's so much work that still needs to be done. Will these houses be rebuilt? That's a really good question. I mean, right now we're just entering into a planning process and we're at the very start and uh, this process is going to be robust. It's going to be a public process and because of that, it may take some time before those decisions are made. So where are we now? Well, we're going in towards the reservoir uh, where and the water treatment plant. There's uh, a plant down here. There is. I think most people don't realize that a park like Big Basin is a small city and it has its own infrastructure. There's a small reservoir here and then water is extracted from there for use within the park. And then at the other end of the park we actually have our own water, wastewater treatment facility. So now this this area has its own watershed. It is. Most of Big Basin was established largely to protect, try and protect the entire watershed of Waddell Creek, little by little. I see some flame over there. You see it? I do not. Uh, Maybe it's a still. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe someone's got to... you got to be careful what you find in the backcountry here. <laughs> I saw some flagging. Are you sure you're not, you know... I swear I saw. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, that's what it is. Ah. 
Oh, that's not as exciting as I thought. Not it was. nearly. It is. That's what it is. Some flagging. But I'm, I'm kind of bummed that I'm not. Well, there you go. No, I. One of the things we're doing right now, there are still fires within the hearts of some of these hollowed-out redwoods. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I thought we would see right, right over there. And you know, our crew right now, we've chosen to try and put out those fires rather than cutting down the old growth redwoods. Mm -hmm. So we may see some of that today. It, it is very much a, a natural phenomenon. The way these redwoods work, they're very resistant to fire. Mm -hmm. They have thick bark and wood with a lot of chemicals that help it stay strong and not decay. Mm -hmm. But once that bark is broken through and fire goes into the center of the tree, it does create a hollow and then that could lead to fire remaining in that hollow. So we know the CZU fire, the complex fire back in August, did a lot of damage here. Do you think that had we not been so dry, that we weren't in some kind of you know, global warming situation, that maybe things would have been a little different, that these trees may not have burned to the extent that they did? As a scientist, what, do you, what is your inclination? There are so many factors that go into fire behavior and fire impacts. Mm -hmm. I think it is definitely true that things are hotter and drier than perhaps we've ever seen. And this fire occurred during a week of some of the highest temperatures on record, some of the lowest humidities, and some of the lowest fuel moistures that people have ever measured. The perfect storm, in essence, is what we're talking about. Here. Well, and then you do throw in the storm, which was thousands of lightning strikes mm -hmm. simultaneously and fires breaking out simultaneously around. In various the, places around the park. Around the park and around the state, mm -hmm. so that firefighting resources were stretched thinner than they've ever been. Tell me about your, your relationship with this park. Well, I'm one of those people that now has, and I hope this is not an implanted memory, but I remember feeding the deer back when you would buy a little sack of food and feed the deer near the headquarters. Oh, wow. So that was a long time ago. Uh, I do remember coming here as a little girl, and then I've always had a, a love for the redwood forest. And in fact, that kind of started me on the path to becoming an environmental scientist for California State Parks. So there is, needless to say, a soft spot in your heart for this park as, and nature as a whole. I, my, my entire body is soft for nature and one piece of that is this specific park and this specific ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So tell me when you got your first look at the park after the fire. When was it and what did you see? I came in with some of the CAL FIRE crews after the fire had gone through. The fire went through this area, the main portion of Big Basin State Park, in less than 24 hours. And when our staff came back in, uh, they were surprised and upset to see how much of the human history we had lost in terms of losing our historic buildings. By the time I came in, I knew what to expect, but I was working with CAL FIRE crews that were looking at tree hazards and trying to remove trees that might threaten people on that road coming in and out of the park to do the fire suppression work. With your connection to the park and you saw the damage, what 
What went through your mind about the recovery process that had not yet even come close to beginning? Well, I've got to say, I come from the perspective of an environmental scientist. And I'm looking at the forest, and I'm looking at the redwood trees. So fortunately, I'm working in an ecosystem that's primed for recovery. Mm -hmm. And so my side of the coin, even as the fire was still lingering in some of the downed logs, the redwood trees were starting to re-sprout. An ecosystem that's primed for recovery. That's good to hear. Coming up, your tour continues. Let's go look at the lodge. Learn how redwoods are able to regenerate so quickly after a fire and why they've survived for thousands of years. Redwoods are phenomenal in so many ways. One of them is they can grow three to 10 feet in a year. Ah, there's more to that story. And there's more to the recovery of Big Basin Redwood State Park. From the human involvement. And we're hoping that Cal OES will be able to remove the hazardous materials, but still save a little piece of this original structure. To the wonders of Mother Nature herself, all doing their parts to offer a glimmer of hope. I hope to see something that will start to resemble the look and feel of the forest that was here. It will be different, but I still hope to see, and I think I will see, something that is alive and vibrant. Back to our conversation and walkabout in the backwoods of Big Basin with environmental scientist Joanne Kerbavis. And I actually came out with the National Park Service people from Muir Woods yesterday, and they were pleased to see how much was regrowing. And, and that's very much what I've been watching mm -hmm. because I've been here on the ground and that's been my focus. And then the other thing we might want to talk about, if we look around here, we can see the flame links that went up into these trees and how much they affected the, these redwoods. But yet, if we look through a break in the canopy or if we look behind, we can see green spots that were basically untouched. So does that have to do with wind, you know, and who knows what? Boy, yeah. yeah. No, and, and that's, I, yeah. you know, in, in, in fires in general, you know, you'll see the behavior being variable. And they create their own weather. Create their own weather. Mm -hmm. Well, looking at this, so this tree right here. We should go do let's, that let's one. Let's go look at that. Let's, let's go, go do that, that one. Because that, one, that yeah. one has a great backstory. So is this a sequoia? This is a, yeah. yeah. I think Coast Redwoods is probably Redwoods. the better name. Okay. Most people will call the Sierra and one sequoias. Okay. This is massive. Yeah. Is that about 20 feet in diameter? I, you know, there's two trees. Well, two, two trees. trees in one. Oh yeah, yeah, I see but that. But now this is part of the problem with redwoods. You know, it's hard to separate out what an individual is because this really they grew is. Together. Yes. They, well, or they split apart they at split, one point. There you go. Yeah. They grew together up to a point, and then. And then the two separate trunks, and one of the things that I've sort of discovered is obviously even in some of these areas that are now protected, there was logging prior to protection. Uh -huh. And so in many areas, the old growth trees that are left, that are still standing, are the ones like this that weren't worth cutting down because there was so much of the wood here was compromised and they couldn't, couldn't use this part of the tree. So a lot of the trees that are left are these very unique ones. For sure. And um, one, one thing I want to point out to the listeners too, 
is that if you have detected a change in the sound of this podcast, it's because we are now standing in the middle of this tree trunk. It's charred, looks like briquettes. It's massive, but that just tells you how big these things are and the fact that even though it's charred, it's still standing. And was charred before this fire. Mm. So when we do talk about fire history in the Redwoods, these trees tell a story that they've lived through previous fires. And one of the things that I do have some concerns about many of these trees where the fire lingered at the base, mm -hmm. what does eventually cause redwoods to fail is, is gravity when they just can no longer support the bulk of the tree. Right. So this is a tree and this one has a name. There are trees within Big Basin that have been named and many of them have been named since the 1890s. Because of that, we actually have a time series of photographs. This tree that we're standing in is probably the most photographed tree in Big Basin. And we have everything from Victorian women in fancy skirts standing here to the horse and buggy. Well, and this is why it's called the auto tree. The auto tree. Auto tree. Okay. As an automobile. Mm. But it got that later because it was horses and buggies originally. We have photos of people and probably you've all heard of the roadside attractions of drive-through trees. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't have a drive-through, but we have a back into. Uh -huh. and, and that was the the photograph here is you'd back your vehicle into the tree and then pose for a photo. <laughs> uh, but what's interesting to me as an ecologist is often it's really hard for us to do long-term studies. And here, because people have been taking photos on this spot continuously since probably the 1890s, mm -hmm. we have this little window into what this forest looked like for that period of time. That's amazing. They had no idea they were doing that either. No, they didn't, but it's good ecology. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, if anybody has ever been to the Redwood Forest, you know that it's really hard to take a picture of a redwood tree. <laughs> it is. You usually don't have a lens wide enough to, co to capture it. So, well, and until you're there, standing in it, and you can smell the soot, you can smell the tree, you can see and almost feel the texture without touching it. Mm -hmm. And right, right now, behind you, I'm looking through this burned out hole, and there's another tree directly behind it that's been burned, and it has two holes that look straight through. Mm -hmm. So this is the kind of thing that I think a lot of people are gonna come back and they're gonna see this, and I think they're gonna appreciate Big Basin for what it is now and appreciate its history. I mean, because I feel lucky. I feel blessed to be able to stand here and look at this. Well, and I think my message is that this too is beautiful and this too tells a story and although this level of impact and disturbance is not what we have would have chosen yeah it, it too is part of the natural cycle it's living history and i think from my perspective one of the thing it re things that reminds me of is that when we're in this forest, I think we need to think more on a timescale of a redwood tree instead of a timescale of a human. Mm -hmm. And we're standing inside of a tree. It's hard to date redwoods, but you know, a rough guess is maybe 1,500, 2,000 years old. That's incredible. And so it's seen a lot. 
And a lot of what you see in these trees, in terms of you see the holes and you see the char, that was here before. Mm. Amazing. All right, well, let's walk on. This is wonderful. It's, it's uh, I'm very conflicted emotionally, you know? You see it and you, you feel sad, but at the same time, it's, it's part of the, the cycle, like you said. It's just part of the natural way that these forests live and breathe. It's true, and I also think, I, I, although this area was hit very hard, uh, other parts of Big Basin not as hard, but still, the, the footprint is going to be visible, but as time goes on, we will We'll start to see the immediate scars fade. Um, I am. I take fa some some bit of uh, oh additional optimism from the fact that this area burned in 1904, only two years after the park was established, and at the time people thought that this was devastation and mm. that the new park was ruined. Mm. And by 2020, most people don't even know there was a fire. Mm. So again, that's, you know, that's a decent amount of time on a human scale, mm -hmm. but a really short time on a redwood scale. Try and find a not scary way through the hazmat. This was the store. Uh, there was a patio here. You could buy your ice cream bars after that long, hard hike and mm -hmm. sit here and enjoy them. And then there were also offices and there was a museum or, and the, one of the ironies is that literally Right at the time of the fire, uh, our staff had just completed a, a plan and a contract for constructing the new museum exhibits. Oh. And this is one of those, yeah, this is one of those that, that is, is sad from what we lost beyond just the historic building. But there were, a naturalist from the 1940s had done a, a fantastic collection of taxidermied specimens, as was the technique for preserving natural history at the time. And so there were incredible, very detailed notes and labels and material that told that history. And now all that's gone. That is gone. So we are, uh, you know, we're all sad for what was lost, but it's probably a good time for me to remind everyone that the beauty was that our staff was able to evacuate everyone and up to a thousand campers were here that day. And everybody got out and safely. And everybody got out safely. Nice. So Excellent. we lost these things um, and we do regret that, but uh, we're incredibly pleased that we didn't lose any people. Okay. All right, lead on. Let's, uh, let's go look at the lodge. Let's go look at the lodge. So we went from the old headquarters to the museum, and now we're yeah. headed over to the lodge. Headed to the lodge. And we'll walk past. And all very short walking distance from each. Yeah, this was, this area became, you know, kind of the center of the park. Uh, it's changed over time, which is one of the other things that I think is interesting when you even go back, not even on the scale of a redwood, but on the scale of this park operating. It's seen a lot of changes in the footprint of what people have been doing here. So this area was one of the original 
kind of centers of activity and it really was a lodge and at some point people there were small cabins here and it was a place people can stay so this was at least one point in the history of the park a center of activity wow look at this how big is this area would you say about an acre just this little yeah, footprint probably fair enough yeah, yeah. football field yeah. yeah so what i'm seeing then just for our listeners sake basically we're looking at a foundation that has cinder blocks around it and in the middle there's some charred wood beams a lot of metal rubble a chimney that has like a river rock that's just standing to our left and then in the background the remnants of a charred uh, redwood and, and others. You know, here we see just this wreckage and this building had kind of fallen into kind of a little bit of disrepair, like the problem with many historic buildings. Uh, there's always work that needs to be done to keep them alive. They're money pits, like my house. Probably even worse than your house. Mm. but. Uh, so this had been actually used as, I, the last thing I went to here was a, a, a conference and it had been used as a, a big meeting room. It seems like most recently all those folding chairs ended up here and um, were part of the fire. Mm. And it's not a coincidence that the trees right near the buildings were especially ravaged because of the fuel that came just from the building itself burning then exacerbating the flames that were going up these trees. Mm. I think one thing I just noticed on, on this tree, this is one of the ones where, of course, we're working with Cal OES on making these areas safe. And part of that is remediating hazards in terms of the dead and damaged trees. Mm -hmm. And in some areas, we're trying to look at that from a parks perspective and the perspective of the fact that these redwoods are the entire reason that this park is here. And what I just noticed on one of these old growth redwoods next to the lodge is that we brought in a crane, thanks to other partners, and were able to cut off some of the parts that were hazardous. I see that now, yeah. Rather than the need to remove the tree itself. So this tree will stand for who knows how many years, right? Who knows how many years? And, and this one seems like one, it is re-sprouting up in the crown. It is, yeah. Even though it has been ravaged, the top is hollowed out and it looks like there was fire right there in the very top of the tree. Mm -hmm. But it will stand. I, you know, well, it, e even on the, even thinking like a redwood tree, you know, they do have a lifespan. Yeah. But what probably affects them the most is indeed anything that undermines their support rather than things that do damage to the crown. Right. We're in a drought. 70% of the state is in either red or dark red. Does that concern you at all? That concerns me for every reason, mm. <laughs> including all the ones, the, the personal ones, in addition to the ones about our, our wildlands. I think it's, there's a growing consensus that we're going to enter times that could be hotter and drier. And if you just want to think like a redwood tree, they're able to survive here because of that fog drip that gives them moisture all year round. 
and anything that changes our weather patterns has the potential to restrict the areas where redwoods can grow. And although this is certainly changes in weather patterns are why, or climate probably more longer term, are why we don't see redwoods in La Brea tar pits anymore. So that's not an unnatural fact, but just the, the speed of change and the direction of change that we're facing right now, some scientists feel that even though we'll still keep the redwoods within approximately the same range, they may be restricted to only the areas that are cooler and moister. So maybe some valleys and canyons instead mm. of being in some of the areas that yeah. they are now. And selfishly, we want them to survive so that we can all enjoy them, but nature has its way. Nature does what it wants to do and it responds to other influences and maybe we as a human race can change our habits and maybe improve the likelihood that these redwoods will survive longer and in wider areas. Well, we certainly have the ability to create more change on a human time scale mm -hmm, mm -hmm. than uh, nature has in these areas on a natural time scale. I want to walk over here and look at this. Let's look at, yes. This is so cool. And this is, we were talking about rejuvenation and renewal. So as we walk up to this charred redwood, right at the base is this great cluster of green, bright mm -hmm. green. So what is this? These are the re-sprouts that are coming from the base. New redwoods. Brand new redwoods. And considering the fire was in August, this is, I don't know, three, three and a half That's feet three tall. Three and a half feet tall easily. So this is what they do. Mm -hmm. Redwoods have buds along their base and buds along the stems and even out in the branches. And those buds are dormant until the dominant buds face some sort of uh, loss or disturbance. So that was the trigger then? That's the trigger. So the, the trees are producing plant hormones that suppress these buds. When that stops happening, these guys are programmed wow. to regrow. That's so cool. And this, this whole mechanism is what makes redwood survivors. This is beautiful. The green against the black of that tree, that charred tree, the contrast is, is incredible. Now, these look to be different colors. Is that just because it's in a different light? It's part of the lighting, okay. but they do have this just almost, you know, almost fluorescent mm. green look to it. And yeah. you're right, the, the colors, when I first came in here after the fire, everything was sepia tones. Mm. And now my eye is drawn to just this, the yeah. fact that these are coming back. Now, redwoods are phenomenal in so many ways. One of them is they can grow three to 10 feet in a year. And you see it right here. This is, you know, less than a year. E easy, less than a year and yeah. easily, you know, three feet pushing, tall. Yep, pushing four. And redwoods achieve their height in about a hundred years. So they're kind of like humans in that way. You know, mm -hmm. they get to a height and then they just kind of broaden from and there. And if they're like me, they start to feel the pains and they start to hunch over. Well, no, these guys hopefully no? don't do that. No, they yeah. don't? Okay. But they do start to suffer some of the natural changes from fire or other disturbance mm -hmm. that does create some of that personality, but also creates the opportunity that eventually they, they will have hollows that can't be supported, that can't support the weight of the tree. Yeah. But at least for now, these guys are growing. And this is another phenomenon that we'll see all along here. 
where a ring of new trees will grow up around a central tree. Now, what happens to that central tree once these start to reach, you know, I don't know, 50 feet? Sure, well, that depends on the individual case. Now, okay. if this guy survives, and I think he's going to, these smaller trees probably are not gonna develop very much. Mm. It's just not gonna be a lot of room. They'll, plus this big one, would that be taking the nutrients still? Well, they're all or, sharing. So now uh, how, here we get into the, <laughs> here, okay. we, here we get into some of those fascinating definitional problems. Okay. These guys are clones of the, the other tree. Okay. So we can discuss whether this is one tree. <laughs> yeah. Or whether it may be, you know, right now, you know, I'm gonna call many it, new trees. I'm gonna call it an offspring. Okay, well, you can. You, I'm just you because can. it's, it's I, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm not a scientist. I'm a nature lover, and so I'm gonna look at it from a layman's point of view and go, "Hey, well, and it's an offspring." Fair enough, but this is like uh, this is the clonal offspring, mm, so okay. it, it's probably genetically. I'll, I'll defer much to you. Well, I'll defer to you. We can get into that, but one of the things you see when you walk through the forest, once you kind of see this picture, we're gonna see a lot of these rings of trees, including mm. rings of old growth trees around where the ancestral oh, tree was in the middle. Nice, nice. So again, I mean, this is from many years ago. So you can imagine that tree in the center that's no longer visible, maybe was 1,500, 2,000 years old. Mm -hmm. And now there's a ring of new trees based on the rootstock of the original tree that are maybe 1,500, 2,000 years old. Wow. That's and amazing. so most of the reproduction here in the coast redwood forest is is asexual it's mm. vegetative it's okay. these clones okay so this is a great example of what we call a fairy ring where there's a ring of redwoods around what was an ancestral redwood and I don't know, I'm not so great on estimating distances, but we can think about how big this area was. This, this is was, a good 30 feet across, if I had to guess. I, I think, it, you know, fair enough. I'll go with 30 feet across, yeah. And this was an old growth tree inside of this ring. And then the sprouts that we're seeing coming up now at the base of trees were these trees. The sprouts created the trees that are around us. And that, that base, this was that base of a huge ancestral tree. Redwoods are incredible. They really are. Let's go see more. All right. So where are we headed? We're gonna go to the campfire area and we're gonna see another piece of Big Basin that people who were visitors here would remember fondly. So Big Basin had a rich tradition of these summer campfire programs where people would come in from the campgrounds and the rangers or interpreters would host a, a talk and maybe have a campfire going, maybe roast some marshmallows. And it kind of created a community of the people who were staying here. I hope this is rebuilt. Well, some of this can be reused. Well, and this is again, uh, pretty remarkable example of there's a bench that's completely burned right next to one that doesn't look like it was even scorched. Nope. And just kind of the 
random seeming way that the fire can pass through an area right. like this. Now, for those who can't see what we're talking about, these benches aren't your ordinary benches. These are made from what? These are redwood logs. And the good news about some of the trees that had to be removed or some of the, the redwood trees that fell is that we have the potential of creating some of these log benches mm. out of the very trees that fell during the fire. Yeah. So what, can you, it looks like you could see maybe a couple hundred people out here easily. You could, and this again, the, the history of Big Basin as a state park does tell a story about how people relate to nature and how people recreate in nature. And there were some traditions in, really in the early days of the park, people would come for perhaps the summer. And uh, as, as people were able to travel more, it, there was a tradition of maybe the, the family comes to the park and stays there and the breadwinner travels back to, to continue to work during the summer. So a different type of way yeah. of, of people staying here. So there were facilities for that. There were cabins, there was a dance floor. At one point there was a swimming pool. There, there are things that are no longer here and things that, again, we wouldn't maybe think about putting in the middle of an old growth redwood yeah. forest now. To me, that seems like a piece of American history that is, it's a bygone era. And I think that's a little bit the reason why we're talking about reimagining Big Basin, because the ways a hundred years from now people will use a park in some ways might be very different from the way we've been using the park. So I think we're open to thinking about the new ways that people will come to Big Basin and hopefully still enjoy the reason which is here, the reason why it is here, which is the old growth redwood forest. Do you imagine what Big Basin could be the next time you visit? Well, you'll have a chance to share your thoughts and ideas with State Parks. We'll tell you how at the end of this podcast. But first... More, oh, don't fall in the pit. We're nearing the end of our tour of Big Basin Redwood State Park with Joanne Carbavis, a senior environmental scientist with California State Parks. The fire that burned so much of the park in August 2020 wasn't the first, and it won't be the last. And somehow, with a little help from Mother Nature and caring individuals, Big Basin will reopen. I hope to see something that will start to resemble the look and feel of the forest that was here. It will be different, but I still hope to see, and I think I will see, something that is alive and vibrant. So let's finish our hike, and then maybe rest our feet a little bit. All right. Well, let's walk and talk a little. Okay. We'll do a couple more. Oh, don't fall in the pit. So my plan is we'll cross this bridge. Oh, I'll okay. show you a couple of the big trees that have names and okay. fame. So this just shows this was a, a wooden cribbing on either side here, filled with gravel and then compacted decomposed granite and was a marvelous accessible walkway. Unfortunately, the wood cribbing burned. Mm. And to me, this is just an example of 
you know, all the work that we have to do to open up this park again. So the water level seems really low. Is this normal? This is normal. I okay. mean, this is part of what we're in for when we live in this Mediterranean climate. This is Opal Creek, and most visitors would remember. It feels really good when you've been hiking all day to put your feet I in. I bet it does. Uh, this is a, another good example of one of the hazards that we face. This is a Douglas fir tree. They're not resistant to fire. And in fact, they're easily killed by fire. And when fire gets into their roots, it burns them out completely. So this doesn't happen to a redwood? This does not happen to a redwood very often. Mm. Certainly not the burning part very mm. often. They, they are because they are so resistant to fire. Redwoods do topple over. Again, it's gravity that takes out a redwood. Mm -hmm. But this is what we're seeing here with these old growth. And there could still be embers in some of these fire pits. Seriously. There's a chance wow. that some of these are harboring a little bit of fire still. Mm. So it's certainly one of the hazards that uh, if it, if, if people are, are not careful around these, they can, yeah. You get a, a broasted foot. Yeah, exactly. So one more reason why we have so much work to do before folks come back in. So I want to show you a couple of the named trees that are on this side, just because they've been part of that time series of trees that people have come to. In the early days of the park, the name trees were a very big thing. And you could buy postcards of all of these iconic trees. And you could still buy them, but now you have to do it on eBay. Oh. And so for these name trees, we do have that kind of connection. And in the 1970s, some of the folks involved decided that Maybe that was too much anthropomorphizing to mm. put names on trees. And so sort of went away from doing that or from even, you know, calling them things. But one of the things I actually like is I think having named these trees, having that long-term interaction with these trees, I think in some ways it's a lot easier for people to actually relate to the old growth and to, you know, relate to that old growth forest mm -hmm. because they had this relationship with an individual tree. Right. Uh, this one's called the Santa Clara tree for Santa Clara University and the work that the people involved in the formation of Big Basin Redwood State Park included a consortium, folks from Stanford, folks from Santa Clara University, mm. and then uh, other partners. And this is the tree where when you see the banner for the Sempervirens Club, which is one of the entities most involved in starting the park and saving the old growth redwoods here, this was the tree that they posed in front of. It is still alive. What you see on the left is where one of those buds some time ago actually started a new trunk because the old trunk had been damaged. So this trunk was damaged and the top probably impacted way before this fire. So 
what you see was created by a much earlier disturbance. Mm. And one of the things that I think is interesting is that now that we temporarily have this much more open forest, we really see a lot more of the architecture of our old growth trees. And we also appreciate how much they've seen in the time that they've been here. You know, one thing too that I'm hearing that I didn't hear the last time I was here, and that's birds. You will hear a lot of birds. And I think, you know, anything that's mobile figured out how to get away from the fire. And the birds certainly are able to come back in. I've also seen lots of wildlife uh, deer enjoy the new sprouts that are coming up after the fire. And then the ones that I was a little surprised at first were we found salamanders who had managed to find a place to burrow that stayed cool enough that they could survive the fire. So the things that couldn't really run away found places to hide. And the things that flew away have come back to the resources that are coming back here. And one of the things that I've noticed, you know, in any disturbance like this, there are species that are favored and can actually take advantage of it, in addition to some of the species that are disfavored by that particular disturbance. Mm. And you think about it in terms of the trees that don't survive, but then re-sprout from their bases versus the trees that can re-sprout or the shrubs that, that come back. And certainly the birds, since I've been in here, I've heard so many woodpeckers. And one of the birds is the pileated woodpecker, a very large woodpecker. And their preferred habitat is in very tall dead trees. And so you hear that. Very loud, yeah. <laughs> yes. Because again, they're, they're a species that's actually favored by this yeah. event. Early in the morning, before the equipment starts, you do hear the dawn chorus of birds. And we're seeing birds coming back, including birds nesting in areas that have burned. Mm. And one of our important species is the marbled merlet, which is a threatened and endangered bird. It's a seabird that nests in old growth trees, in old growth forests. And even after the burn, we've been observing that there have been marbled merlets in this area. Hmm. Now, we're not sure if they're coming in and deciding they're going to nest here or if they, they, there's something called site fidelity where birds will return to the same area. Maybe they're returning and finding it favorable, maybe they're not. We don't really know yet, but we're going to be able to monitor and find that out. Looking forward to the next three years, what do you hope to see and what do you think you'll see? Well, I hope to see something that will start to resemble the look and feel of the forest that was here. It will be different, but I still hope to see, and I think I will see, something that is alive and vibrant. I think that we will still be dealing with the legacy of the loss of the buildings and of the infrastructure. And so I think that over the next few years, we'll be wrestling with important questions about how to reimagine Big Basin. And we may be just finding ways to make this safe enough and user-friendly enough mm -hmm. 
that we can start to bring the public back in. What gives you hope that you will have the resources you need to make the reimagining of this park come to fruition? I am heartened by how much love and support there is for state parks and for Big Basin and for the Redwood Forest. Uh, state Parks is here because of that support for the wildlands and specifically these iconic resources. This was our first state park and it was a citizen-based movement that caused it to be created. And that same feeling of support from the public is still here and will still carry us forward. Again, Joanne Carbavis, a senior environmental scientist with the California State Parks, and we're right here pretty much in the middle of Big Basin Redwoods. Joanne, thanks so much for taking us on this tour and educating us and hopefully uh, giving us some hope about returning here in the very near future. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. We are grateful for the support and looking forward to being able to welcome people back to Big Basin Redwoods. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. A little different from the ones in the past, but we wanted to take you on this tour and hopefully give you an idea of just how the recovery efforts are going in Big Basin. A tremendous thanks to Joanne for spending the day with us and hiking around the park and showing us how the park is doing almost a year after the CZU fire. So much work has already been done, but there is so much more work to do to repair the damage, rebuild those structures that were destroyed, and repair the infrastructure and make the park safe to reopen. Really, that's ultimately the goal. So as soon as we have the date, we'll let you know. So be sure to follow Cal OES on most social media platforms. And there are ways, by the way, that you can help in the recovery process, and we have links to make it easier for you. All you have to do is go to news.caloes.ca.gov. One more time, news.caloes.ca.gov. Click on the podcast tab, and then go to the notes section of this episode. It's as easy as that. Also there, you'll find photos from our tour, and soon there will be a video to accompany this podcast. Hey, if you like all hazards, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any ideas for people we should talk to, maybe some topics, places that we should explore, send us an email at media at caloes.ca.gov. That's media at caloes.ca.gov. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. And for everyone here at the Cal OES Office of Public Information, I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.